can't possibly go in tone deaf to somebody's situation. And there's no way you know. They say we're all in this together. Well, everybody's in this together is a different place. You know, if you're calling on someone who's got a sick mother in a nursing home that they can't visit and just got back from a rally that's got them angry for good reason. You just don't know what somebody is dealing with. And I am finding the conversations are happening at such a different human level at every level of the business across every organization right now and giving people an opportunity to connect and talk. Hi, friends. Welcome to the Sales Enablement Podcast. I'm your host, Andy Paul. Now, that was Karen Hurt. She's the author of a book titled Courageous Cultures, How to Build Teams of Micro-Innovators, Problem Solvers, and Customer Advocates. If you look at all those descriptions, those are descriptions of effective salespeople. So, what are courageous cultures? Well, they're cultures that challenge the status quo, and I think we all see and really can acknowledge that in sales, so much of the way people operate, they operate from a position of fear, you know, of losing whatever status or position they have. So, a courageous culture is one that encourages people to speak up. And so, we're going to dig into, with Karen, dig into why people have what she calls FOSU, F-O-S-U, fear of speaking up, and also talk about what constitutes courage in a business setting. We'll also dive into what the consequences are for our sales team. When it operates from the basis of fear, and what happens when it's transformed when you embrace actually speaking up? We'll also dive into how to empower employees to become these micro-innovators and problem solvers, as I said before, which are just absolutely essential traits for salespeople to possess. And most importantly, they're key attributes that your buyers are looking for. Now, before we get to Karen, I want to remind you to subscribe to this podcast wherever you listen to it. And if you subscribe, we'd certainly appreciate it if you could give us your feedback about how we're doing in the form of a review. All right, thank you very much. Let's jump into it. Karen, welcome to the show. Oh, thanks so much for having me. It's a pleasure to have you. So where have you been uh, sheltering in place? Uh, in Laurel, Maryland, which is halfway between Baltimore and D.C. Got it. So you work from home typically or I know you are now probably, but typically? <laughs> well, we have built out a – our entire basement has now become a live online studio. So, yes, oh, we nice. are working – yeah, we're working from home. That's been a, a big pivot for us. But uh, typically, we spend a lot of time on the road uh, traveling internationally, doing our leadership development program. So, this has been a big shift. This is the longest time I've been home in three decades probably. <laughs> yeah, I was thinking about that myself. During shutdown, I think for me, it was probably very close to the longest period since uh, 1985. Mm. <laughs> uh, not to date myself unnecessarily, but yeah. Yeah, we talked about you know, it. You lose that that muscle memory for travel. Right? <laughs> I, mean, I can't believe I actually am saying I miss airports, which is crazy. Because who misses airports? I think I got through that stage. I mean, early on, definitely, I, I could feel it. In my body, you know, just this this impulse to say, "Look, I I mean, <laughs> what am I missing? Something's going on here. I'm missing being on an airplane and yeah. going somewhere." But then I got over it. <laughs> Maybe it's the the idea of what I was going to confront when I got to the airport. So yeah, or in the airplane, I guess, since they seem to be ready to become uh, political battlegrounds <laughs> going forward. So yeah, it's not going to be the same. 
No, it's not. But it's been interesting to see all the innovation and all. It's so interesting seeing people doing the best they can with what they have from where they are right now. It's uh, it's been a real interesting period of time. Yeah, well, I agree, and I, I, yeah, on the sales side of things, is is yeah, a lot of discussion about. Okay, well, people have traditionally been in the field, sellers, you know, face to face with the buyers. Are they going to go back to that? Are the buyers going to want them there? Mm-hmm. I I suspect. Oh, I think we're seeing it just when the way people sort of are reacting when there's a little bit of an opening and everybody goes outside and mills around and drops their masks and so on. Is they just people are sort of normal are really anxious for normal, but uh, yeah, I don't think we know what that normal is going to be yet. Yep. People are yearning for that human connection, and it's not just not the same over the screen. You know, as much as we are able to do and accomplish, thank goodness, uh, I think people are still yearning for to be in the same room with people. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we've had one dinner with friends here in San Diego that was a socially distanced <laughs> dinner. We were twelve feet apart in their backyard. Uh, you know, the wind blowing, keeping everything. Uh, the virus is moving along, along, and um, but yeah, we had you know the hosts to make sure that everybody had their own separate trays of food. No one's you know no cross contamination. It was it was nice to be able to do that, even mm-hmm. though we were sorry had to shout to, to make each other heard. <laughs> yeah. So we're going to talk about your book, uh, Courageous Cultures: How to Build Teams of Micro Innovators, Problem Solvers, and Customer Advocates. And I think this is a timely book in many respects. So what was the, given that you you wrote it well before this time happened, what was the impetus to write the book? Yeah. So what we noticed a pattern uh, over the last couple of years, we were working with our clients and what we were finding when we were working at the very senior levels of organizations, that executives would be really frustrated. They would say, why are people not sharing their best practices? Why am I management by walking around and stumbling on an idea that other people should know about? Why don't people speak up when they have a concern? And then we would be working at the front line of those very same organizations. Mm -hmm. And we would hear things like, nobody wants my ideas. You know, the last time I spoke up, I got in trouble. Nothing ever happens. So why bother? We thought, are you working for the same company? You know, because employees have ideas and leaders want to hear them, but somehow there was a disconnect. It raises a question, though, is, is and I know you can't you know, generalize necessarily, but you know, I was reading through a book, it's like, yeah, because this idea of a courageous culture is really about challenging the status quo in many respects. And the thing is, status quo is a pretty comfortable place to be. I and mean, I think even if managers saying, or leaders saying, uh, yeah, we want to hear it, there's, there's always this substrata of fear, I think, that, you know, if the challenge of status quo changes, maybe they lose status or something that, that affects them personally. Yeah, the, the problem is that the status quo is completely disrupted right now anyway, you know, and, you know, it was already on its way to doing that because of you've got, you know, the gig economy and employees have more choices than ever and technology is taking away the easy jobs. And so you, the, you need humans to be showing up to do the work that only humans can do. And, you know, that's, you know, the ability to create a real genuine connection with a customer. You know, your AI can sell you, well, you know, you've got 
37,000 curse words. So somebody's probably upset, but it's a human, <laughs> right? To get underneath all that, to say, what is really happening here? And I want to get to that specific point a little bit later, but but yeah, that's <laughs> that's a big topic all in itself, which we've <laughs> dealt with on the show. Um, but I, I was, when I started with the status quo, I was really talking about you know people's natural instinct is to try to protect what they have. Yeah, and I think that's why you know this idea of of this sort of, you say a courageous culture where people are empowered to speak up. It's it's I don't know I I think it's fear based. At least my experience has been is is people may have the best of intentions, but you know, as we know, the road to hell paved with good intentions. Yeah. So you know, one of the things that we found we call it FOSU. You know, fear of speaking yeah. up and what causes fear of speaking up. And a, a couple of things, a lot of the, so we partnered with the University of North Colorado to do the quantitative research, but we also did a lot of qualitative research in addition to all that. And one of the things that we found is that 40% of the people said, I just don't feel confident to share. And a lot of that was coming from fear. Well, where's the fear? Well, once upon a time, somebody had a really bad boss. And that experience with this really bad boss tends to stick with you. So if you can have, uh, if you've had one really terrible experience with a boss, but you've had other good experiences, you know, psychological research will set, tell you, you are more likely to remember that toxic boss, uh, you know, the one who did shame, blame, or intimidation, or shut you down, or stole your idea and took credit for it. And that lingers, and you're less likely to say, you know, oh, yeah, but that was just that one time. And you're more likely to think, oh, well, it, if it happened before, it could happen again. Sa safer to just keep quiet and play it safe. Yeah, and uh, absolutely. And I agree with that. I, but I guess I start the status quo from the perspective of the bosses. I was just going to address that issue first. I, yeah, I, I, you know, you talk about courage and this fear of speaking up, but I, I don't know. I, my experience has been there's almost as much a fear of actually listening <laughs> because. When they listen, they're being challenged to to do something about it. Yeah. I mean, it, and that's the, one of the biggest things is if you are not going to do anything with it, then don't ask people to speak up because that's absolutely the worst thing that you could do is to invite people into the conversation and then ignore them. And, you know, 50% of the folks at our research said the reason that they don't speak up is that nothing ever happens. And that's, that's managers uh, not responding. Or... Shaming them or bullying them mm -hmm. or threatening them or ignoring them or, or whatever, right? Mm -hmm. You know, it's, it's, um, but I know you've, you're targeting both audiences, but you know, I look on the sales side of things and, and you know, always have this sort of perception of salespeople, a negative perception of salespeople, right? It's sort of this ingrained into the culture, stereotypes, whatever. And, and so if blame finger blame is always sort of point at them, but I, I feel like the finger blame really needs to be pointed at the managers because they're the ones that create the culture that these people operate within. Absolutely. It really goes from, you need to approach this from two angles, right? So it absolutely starts with the leaders and you know, having clarity yet that, yes, we want your ideas and clarity around what would a good idea accomplish. So going out and then deliberately asking for those ideas and then responding well to those ideas. But also 
one of the things that we do when we're working with sales teams is say, how do you, if you have an idea, how do you position that in a way that it could be heard? Because part of the reason I think sometimes these ideas are not heard is because they're presented in you know a way that maybe is a little clumsy. You know, well, you just, you know, you blurt it out or you say, this is stupid or, you know, and instead of saying, so we teach this idea model, you know, what makes this idea interesting? Well, how is it strategically aligned with what you, where your boss is headed? Is it doable? And to have thought through some of the logistics of your idea, is it engaging? Who else would think it's a good idea? You know, how do you engage your key stakeholders? And A, what are a few key actions? And so when you come to with your manager with an idea and you say, hey, I've thought this through and you take them through this, it's much more likely to be heard. But it absolutely starts. You cannot expect people to speak up if you've got a culture where you're consistently shutting people down or not responding well. Yeah. And, and the thing that you were just referring to is, yeah, people have, uh, yeah, like what you call it, your micro-innovators have an idea. And I think there's a really important point there for people, but it's it's interesting. Well, how do we, how do we transition them from this point where, hey, I've got this idea, right? I've been in this, working this job, I think I've got a great idea for how we can improve it. But then how do you actually, and you referred to some of them, but I mean, in a practical sense, how do you train people to think these things through? So it's not, you know, a boss that talked about this just needs to be baked a little bit more. <laughs> and it's like, Right, right. So and, you teach them how to vet the ideas. You know, these, this is what a good idea would have Yeah, tell us how, how they do that. You know, it's part of the reason I think that uh, managers say, you know, hey, our, our salespeople just aren't thinking strategically. They're only caring about their, you know, their own bag. Uh, you know, that kind of conversation comes often, what we find is, they haven't been given enough information to be strategic. So if you want people to be, be bringing you better ideas of, you know, how do you generate more revenue? How do you get uh, better relationships with your clients? How do you get within a company and, you know, get deep, more deeply embedded? All those things that you want your sales people to be bringing you ideas around. You need to be specific about connecting what you need them to do to why it matters for your business. You know, because I think what you know, the sales teams that I worked with, I led a large sales team at Verizon. Um, it often feels like things are happening to salespeople. You know, the comp plan is changing, but they don't really mm-hmm. understand why, right? It just feels like uh, I'm getting jerked around. Oh, well, we're changing our product mix, but I don't know why. Um, we're going to change the, our, our market, um, you know, the, the way we're structuring markets, or we're going to realign around brands. And all of a sudden, you know, the sales folks are at the bottom of that cycle and they feel like they keep getting whipped around you know whiplash around all these changes and you know i think that is where you know it's particularly in a sales culture you really need to be explaining and keeping people over informed on the clarity aspect of what what you're doing why things are happening the way they are and then bringing them along in terms of how can we do this well, like, because they're the ones that are closest to the customer. They're the ones that understand that the policy that you are about to do, how that's going to impact and, and play out for their customers. And so they can see it ahead of that impact, but not if you're not asking. And if you're not open to that, you know, uh, we like to say, you know, ask courageous questions. Like, what's one thing that's absolutely ticking off our customers? That's a courageous question because it assumes that something is ticking off our customers. And it's also very finite, right? Just one thing. So that makes it easy to do. And then when your salesperson brings you that and they give you one, you go, thank you. 
what's one more? And now you have a conversation. Or what are the what are our policies that suck? Right? Because they're the ones that know because they're hearing sure. it from your customers. You know, and so you're with that, you're assuming that there are policies that need to change. And and then you're actively listening. And you know, in in a culture, in a sales culture, if you can be having every one of your salespeople knowing that it's not only okay, but it's expected that you're going to be bringing ideas and challenging, that's where you're going to have a. You will get to solutions much more quickly. Well, I think one of the push pulls that exists increasingly in sales these days is the fact that there's. So much data about what's going on in sales, you know, greater sort of process transparency, and thus metrics that people look at. That, yeah, I think there's a discounting of that goes on of of what people say and their observations because they're saying, "Well, yeah, I'm not sure the data supports that." Mm, yeah, and I see that. I see this as a big concern of mine as I look at organizations because, you know, I think in the past. What you saw more frequently in a sales environment was managers being less focused on the metrics and more about what can I do to develop this individual. But now it's it's more. I'm not saying exclusively, but you see a greater trend toward. Well, let's let's just, let's judge what you're doing based on what the numbers say. It's interesting. We are in the middle of a really big um, leadership development program. We're designing the curriculum really from scratch for these folks. And uh, it's, you know, one of the things we're really focused on is moving from what we call counting to quality, you know? So it's not just how many client visits did you make, right? How many sales calls did you make? Yes, it's a numbers game. It's all, sales is always going to be oh, a numbers game to some extent, right? But what is the, but what are you coaching to? Are you coaching just to the numbers or are you coaching to Increasingly. the, wallet? but yeah, that's not enough, right? That's not, that's, that's a really dangerous slope because I can make a hundred calls, right? Anybody can make a hundred calls, but yeah. whether or not you're going to have a, a productive call and, you know, so what should you be coaching to? It should, you should be coaching to, how did you open the call? What was the connection like? What, you know, did you ask the right questions? Did you notice when they were pausing? Did you see the look on their face? You know, and, and that's the kind of, you know, in the conversation that you should be coaching to, not just the quantity of the calls. And, you know, we call that playing the, you know, you want to play the game, don't game the score. And, you know, if you're only coaching to numbers, then it's really tempting for your salespeople to game the score and give you the numbers that you want, but you're not going to get the end results that you need. Yeah, and I, well, not my point too is the fear that the managers discount the observations of the people who are in the process talking to the customers because yeah. they say, well, the data doesn't necessarily support that. Mm -hmm. And and as I want to get to and talk to is per what you talked about before with, with you know, so our AI machine learning driven systems. You can't take the human out of the, <laughs> the process. So, not to focus exclusively on sales, but I mean, it, it is, you know, obviously our audience, but, but, you know, you talk about the five reasons people don't speak up, and it's, it's sort of classic, you know, when you're looking at, when I look at from my experience levels and managers I've dealt with, that, that they're just not trained, right? That we've got this, this, I don't know, I think, Part of the, the culture issue that, that's so hard with management is that we imbue them with these sort of mythical qualities. You know, they must know everything. They must be the expert on these things. And 
and they start believing it <laughs> and it creates this this clash that's why we try to really break it down into you know very practical tools and techniques that you can use you know so it starts with you know what we were talking about earlier the asking courageous questions one of the, one of the myths is i think people say oh well of course i i have a courageous culture i have an open door policy people could walk through that door anytime and tell me anything i am an yeah. open book right yeah i like i like your example on that that was a good one <laughs> but the problem is it still takes courage to walk through an open door and so you know we we are training managers to go out and be deliberate in asking. You know, one example is uh, what we call the curiosity tour. And mm-hmm. uh, we were working with one CEO and he had a new product that the, they were launching. It was absolutely strategically imperative for their, or for their industry. Like this was, he was betting the farm on this thing. And he had what I would call a high clarity culture. He was absolutely communicated well five times, five different ways. He connected what to why. He did strategic stories. He had he held rallies to make sure everybody understood. He managed by walking around, made sure mm-hmm. everybody was doing what they were told. But it was but. still, but the product was not selling. And so I said to him, what if for one week you just stop telling and you showed up curious. And so he said, I was walking through our, our, our call center and one of my top sales reps was on the phone and I was listening to her struggling to answer these customers questions. Mm-hmm. And I thought, Oh, I'm, you know what? I'm supposed to show up curious. Now he had to be really careful because this could be radically intimidating to, <laughs> to sure. a, a sales rep on the phone. But he said, look, my coach said, I'm supposed to be showing up curious. So would you mind if I took over the call? And so he got on the call. He introduced himself to the CEO and said, you know, hey, I'm just, it looks to me like my rep is having trouble explaining this to you. Can you tell me uh, what you're, tell me the questions you're, you know, not understanding. And he said, when he listened to those questions, he understood there were things about this that they had not thought through. Like she didn't have the answers to those questions. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And neither did he. You know, they had some things they had to really think about. And so that's when we say show up curious and listen to the people closest to the customer. He had to be open to that until he was really open and deliberately seeking out information. He did not have all the information to to build the product launch. Yeah. I mean, well, and that, yeah, you can translate that down several levels uh, yep. In terms of individual performance styles, right? I mean, yep. yeah. If he's not curious, then sellers aren't going to be curious either, right? I mean, chances right. are their chances are their culture is going to be a little more pitch oriented and a little more what I call logic based, right? Here's our Absolutely. offer. Here's the logic of why you need to buy it, as opposed to let me ask some questions that might influence the choices you want to make about what to buy. Absolutely. Yeah. Very interesting. I mean, you, you talk about, and you write in the book, this, that you know, success within organizations depends on incorporating these best ideas from around the business. Um, as you said, what happens if it's <laughs> if you never hear what's broken? Right. And and this is another thing that happens in sales is managers just saying, "Yeah, you're distracted by that, mm-hmm. right? You're distracted." I just heard this in a conversation last week with someone. Is as yeah. Yeah, I was asking a question of this VP about this person, and it's just like, yeah, he's he's just, you know, we don't want to go there. It's, it's yeah, he's being distracted by this. And to me, it's like 
distraction really involves more that that people tend to fixate on some of these things and not let them go. Mm -hmm. You know, there's such high churn in sales these days, depending on data you look at that, you know, average VP of sales, I think is like 16 to 18 months, tenure, and and at lower level sales, entry level sales jobs, like 12 to 14 months. And you can't build a business with that, that level of churn. So if there's this uncertainty, if people feel, um, to your point about, I think the Gallup data, right? Three out of ten workers agree their opinions seem to count at work, right. which means which means seven out of ten don't. Right. Um, that's that's a problem, right? And so what they do is they leave. Gallup has data about that as well in sales. Is that you know two thirds, virtually two thirds of sellers leave a job because of their manager, and which means that the or- the organizations that are going to win are the ones that are really letting humans do what they do best and you know not just try to run everything through ai and be able to you know tap in you your you your opinion is valuable here we need it you know that that's the way you know our favorite definition of culture is seth godin's people like us do things like this you know mm. here people like us speak up here people like us uh, do listen to the voice of the customer in fact it's not just uh, okay it's required. And you need to really do that from the minute you, your folks walk in the door in the you know new hire orientation. Hey, how did you do it in your last job? Right? If you are not tapping it with all that churn in sales, if you are not tapping into what people are learning from the competitors that they're coming from, you're missing a big opportunity. Yeah. Well, I mean, one of the conundrums there is that also, though, when you get this this rapid churn in sales, is the question is an open question: is was anybody there long enough to learn anything? I would argue you're always learning something, right? <laughs> <laughs> Possibly. Uh, you know, one yeah. question I like to ask, encourage people to ask in their you know if they're new hires, is what is one thing that your company, your old company, did better than the way we're doing it here? Mm-hmm. And they Great may question. not, and they may not know that in the f- first two days. But you can say, I'm going to ask you that. I'm going to come back in 30 days, and I'd like to have your best answer for that. Yeah, I like that. Yeah, I, I'm willing to, to bet, not the, like with you and I, but someone else, that that question rarely gets asked. Yeah, I, th- I agree. Yeah, very interesting. Well, one thing I wanted to get into before we ran out of time was just, we talked to her earlier before this whole importance of being human. And for me, this has never been more essential than now in sales, is that there's this wave of fear that AI is going to take over and humans will be unnecessary in sales. And I don't believe that uh, for an instant. I mean, obviously, at some lower end, more transactional opportunities, perhaps. But as you talk about, as you, you talk about, you say the secret to surviving and thriving in the automation revolution is in what computers can't replace, which is creativity, empathy, and critical thinking, especially in unpredictable environments. And there's nothing more unpredictable than a sales interaction right. <laughs> with, with the buyer. Right. Um, and I don't know if you've read Jeffrey Colvin's book, Hunter, Humans Are Underrated, but you know, he writes about the similar thing, and he talks about really the requirement for us going forward is to learn how to become more intensely human. Mm-hmm. And I love that phrase. And I think it really aligns with a lot of what you talk about. Uh, I think even, you know, what we've experienced over the last couple of months, you know, just it, it, it amplifies that so much. If you can't possibly go in tone deaf to somebody's situation and there's no way you know 
right? We're, you know, we're, they say we're all in this together. Well, everybody's in this together is a different place. And so if you are calling on, <laughs> you know, if you're calling on someone who's um, got a, a sick mother in a nursing home that they can't visit and mm-hmm. just got back from a rally that's got them angry for good reason, you know, and they're, you know, and, and they're behind it just, you just don't know what somebody is dealing with. And I am finding the conversations are happening at such a different human level at every level of the business across every organization right now and giving people an opportunity to connect and talk. And it is the same when you're selling, you know, because yes, I run a, a leadership development company. And by the way, I also do a lot of selling right, at these programs and, a lot of what I've been doing right now is just connecting, just connecting and checking in with clients to sell them nothing, right? right? To just show up human. Are you okay? What's going on? What's happening in your company right now? And interestingly, a couple of those conversations have led to some pretty important work that we've ended up doing, but that wasn't the reason I reached out. I just reached out to be human. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that people are yearning for that. People are lonely, they're tired, they're worn out, they're frustrated. And you can't, with all of that going on, if somebody feels like a hardcore, somebody's coming to hardcore sell to them, it's going to be an immediate turnoff. Yeah, you'd think, right? I mean, but there's still, if you go on LinkedIn and you read what people are writing, it's full of There's a lot of baloney on LinkedIn right now. Oh, my, You know what I mean? I'm just watching it and going, oh, yeah. Are you kidding me? Are you really yeah. saying that right now? Oh yeah, yeah. Double down. <laughs> yeah. And, all, it's like, and all the people how to ha- who how are, to handle objections during a COVID pandemic. It's like oh, really, yeah. And all the freaking people who are connecting LinkedIn with me and then immediately trying to sell something and saying, "I'm sure your business wants to be in trouble, so here I can fix it." I'm like, you haven't paid any attention to what I'm doing at all. <laughs> well, yeah, and also, when have you gone through something similar that you can think you can help fix it? Right. Right. I mean, the yeah, it's not like the situations are transferable. I mean, I've my career, I've had the unfortunate <laughs> pleasure of working through, I don't know, five recessions and other, you know, things that have really disrupted the economy, nine eleven, da 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 da. It's mm-hmm. like Black Monday, you know, double digit inflation and when I first got out of school, it's like, yeah. Well, there are lessons to be learned, but they're not the same. They're not the same. And, you know, everybody keeps saying, oh, we just have to help people learn how to work from home. This isn't about working from home, right? This is working from home in a pandemic in the middle of the biggest racial tensions explosion we've had in a very long time. It's not just working from home. 50 years, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's not. But at the same time, though, I think, and I'm interested if you you see this as well, but is, you know, there's never been a time in my career, certainly, that spans a long time, is that where when you're looking to connect with someone, that you've had this shared experience. It's not identical mm-hmm. experience, but right. it is shared. Yep. And, you know, if you can't connect in the midst of this, right, if you right. can't empathize with what people are going through in the midst of this, because you too are going through it to some degree. Yeah, you're in the wrong field. I mean, certainly from a sales perspective, because as you said, you really got what humans do best. You say is you know connect and create, and yeah, in my writing and the work that I do, yeah, I think that I can usually tell with somebody just on how they connect 
whether they're going to win a piece of business or not. Yeah. I think, you know, small talk has gotten bigger, you know, like even someone said to me the other day, do you just get really stressed out when you have to go to the grocery store? And the answer is yes, by the way. And (laughs) I thought, (laughs) you know, but I thought that is, you know, that was small talk, but it was big talk. It went to like, yeah. No, I think that's, that's a great, (laughs) that's a great question. (laughs) I love that. But it is those things, right? I oftentimes talk to people at, you know, challenge of educating their kids. I mean, my kids yeah. aren't at home, but it was hard enough educating teenagers and and elementary school kids when they were going to class. Yeah, I th- think Zoom also. You know, everybody says, "Oh, this is you know uh, so hard over Zoom." But if you are selling over Zoom right now, you are seeing into people's homes. You're having, mm-hmm. you're watching their toddlers crawl into their laps. Right? You have big opportunities for genuine human connection that you wouldn't have necessarily had if you you know took them out to um, you know Chili's for lunch. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think that that. Along with this connection is uh, again you used a phrase which I really liked, which was that empathy can't be outsourced. Right. <laughs> and I've used something similar, and it's 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 so true. I mean, this is to Colvin's point about becoming more intensely human is the way that where you differentiate yourself in an automation-driven economy is is yeah, just be more human, have have empathy, do the things that machines aren't good at and aren't going to be good at for a long time. Yeah. One of the things that we do a lot with groups is ask for their hopes and fears. And we have ways of collecting those in an anonymous way and then bringing out the themes to folks. And people want to talk about that. It is astounding to me how much people are just so wanting to talk about that right now. We were working, uh, yes, just with this group yesterday and um they were so busy like at the beginning of the session the bit i'm overwhelmed uh, you know all these feelings like I, mm-hmm. I thought oh boy they're not gonna have time for what we're about to do they're gonna this is gonna not land well because we it was it was about connection and getting underneath these fears and their hopes and how they were going to thrive in the next 18 months they were so all in even as busy as they were they it was almost like they exhaled to be able to have those conversations. So what did you hear in those conversations? People are very, you know, it's, it was one thing, you know, people just went into overdrive for the last three months to pivot well, right? Like, oh, all of a sudden we're all working from home and we've got this new approaches and we've got new processes. And it was like the adrenaline was up. Yeah. And now wow. they're looking and they're like, oh my gosh. This is not going away anytime soon. And now it's like, how am we, or how are we going to do this now for the next 18 months? And it was interesting. One of the yeah. um, executive teams we were working with said, you know, they were international. So they've been dealing with this since China first had the first cases. Mm-hmm, you know? mm-hmm. So they, they thought, he's like, well, originally we put all the energy. We're going to support our peers in China. Not thinking that this is going to be a, our problem too, right? You know, and then and then oh, now we're going to support our peers in Italy. Oh my gosh! Now we're <laughs> and so it's just been it's this roller coaster for them. And so the you know what we're taking a step back is where do you find your courage? What you know? How, what are the you haven't seen something like this, but you have had courageous moments in the past. 
What happened then? What are the values that you care about most right now? How do you want to be remembered once this is, you know, we're through this? How do you want to have been proud of that you showed up during this time? Mm -hmm. And a lot of what people are saying is, I am learning a lot more about empathy than I ever have before. And I don't want to lose that. Right. Yeah, very interesting. Very, very interesting. Yeah, I, I think, I, yeah, this is such a sort of single moment um, yeah. the, in our history. It's, and, you know, we talk about empathy in the business context. It's in the social context with, you know, the uh, unrest that's, that's going on where, you know, people are, you know, people are having empathy in ways I think they never realized that they would. Yeah. I mean, that that the, the call is to stop being just an observer and to be more of a participant. And to do that requires a greater level of empathy. It does. And I am seeing more senior leaders sitting back and really listening more than I ever have before, which is good. Well, it's required. Yeah. I mean, I think there's there's so many challenges. One is... You know, to build a truly diverse workforce and and to have truly equal opportunity for people, it it requires that listening. It requires leaders to to challenge themselves and the, their status quo in a way that they've never done, in a way that that maybe they think they've done, but they haven't really. Yes, yes. Yeah, it's 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 fascinating time. <laughs> And and it's it seems to be, yeah, converging in many respects, um, various threads of thing. And I think, yeah, I think to the point, it's like if you can't find a way to be empathetic, have empathy for someone today, um, it's a problem. Yeah, yeah, it's a problem. Well, I mean, Karen, it's been fantastic to talk to you. Um, oh, I appreciate the opportunity so much. Yeah, and we'll have to do this again because this is the type of conversations we're going to keep having. Um, right. Because it's you know, it's funny, I had a, a guest on the show oh, last month, a um, gentleman named Peter Economy, who writes for... Oh, yeah, I know him. Yeah. Yeah, he's and got a so new book out. Right, and we were talking about his new book, for, for you know, f- what the new manager should do. And that's not the exact title, I was paraphrasing. But, but yeah, the striking thing from our conversation and from the book was that he has this, this statistic in there is that, you know, the, the average age at which a manager first receives management training was age 42. I believe it. After they've been on the job 10 years, basically. I would believe it. And it's like, you know, here, you know, the issues you raise in your book. Yeah. It's one thing to have everybody read the book and they should read the book, but, but, yeah, there has to be some institutional reinforcement behind that. Yeah. And and I think more so than ever, and not just in the sales field, but I think it's doubly important in the sales field, is that yeah, you know, it's really time for companies to say, look, yeah, where do the problems really originate that we're trying to fix and towards you know, sales performance and sales productivity and sales retention? Yeah, it doesn't start from the sellers. Yeah. We have to do more at the the senior level. So anyway. We'll continue that conversation. So, Karen, thank you very much. And if people want to learn more about what you're doing and contact with you, how can they do that? Yeah. So, our book is uh, Courageous Cultures How to Build Teams of Micro Innovators, Problem Solvers, and Customer Advocates. And our website is Let's Grow Leaders.com. 
And uh, we have a blog and definitely connect with me on LinkedIn because I do an asking for a friend video each week, which uh, people seem to enjoy too. All right. Excellent. Karen, thank you. Thank you. Okay, friends, that's it for this episode. First of all, I want to thank you for taking the time to listen. So grateful for your support of this program. And I want to thank my guest, Karen Hurt, for sharing her insights with us today. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to this podcast, Sales Enablement with Andy Paul, on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you could also leave us a rating or review and let us know how we're doing, well, we'd appreciate it. You can do all that on your phone in less than a minute as soon as this episode is over. So thanks for your help. And thank you so much for investing your time with me today. Until next time, I'm your host, Andy Paul. Good selling, everyone. Mm-hmm.